Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Most people don't realize that cannabis is serious business that requires serious technology solutions. Hi, I'm Terry from Sunstate Technology Group. We are seriously proud to provide technology and security systems that help cannabis companies compete and succeed. From planning and expansion to hardware and daily IT support, I'm here to tell you that having the right technology is critical to security and smooth business operations. Partner with a technology team that understands the unique needs of this industry. For details, visit sunstatetech.com cannabis. sunstatetech.com cannabis. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm happy you could join us. I was surprised to learn that cannabis is the most frequently searched term on most common search engines. That, according to NewsBank, which is a major distributor of news and educational content serving institutional subscribers and libraries in the government, academic, research, and military sectors. That tells me that the demand for credible information about it is insatiable. Fortunately, there is no shortage of information about cannabis online. A simple Google search for the keyword cannabis yields more than 242 million results. It's daunting. But it hasn't always been that way. I remember when we first registered the domain for the Cannabis Reporter back in 2012, there were maybe a dozen websites catering to cannabis advocates, only a handful of credible websites where patients could learn about medical marijuana. Just two years earlier, in 2010, when I wrote my first article about hemp, it was nearly impossible to find anything about it online with the exception of a few advocacy websites, some historical data, and a lot of anti-marijuana propaganda conflating it with cannabis. Information available online was largely conjecture, with both sides of the marijuana debate making a case to support their position with very little in terms of verifiable data to back their claims. Times have changed. Just in the last decade, we've seen scientific research grow exponentially. State regulation has provided real-time data about drug use and related crime that debunk drug war myths. Hundreds of new cannabis brands are launching to meet the overwhelming demand in states where it's legal, and more and more states are legalizing it for medical or adult use. With a vast majority of Americans now favoring some form of legalization, and a warming attitude about ending prohibition brewing in Congress, it's only a matter of time before cannabis is legalized countrywide. It's the Wild West and the anticipation is truly palpable. It's no wonder there are so many media outlets catering to advocates. But with so much information now available to consumers, sorting through it to determine what's credible and what's not is still a daunting task. With all of the excitement about the emerging industry, there's bound to be a lot of hyperbole and unverified claims being made by well-intentioned enthusiasts. As interest in cannabis grows among mainstream audiences, 
patients are beginning to rely more and more on information they find online in order to make critical decisions about treatment options. The need for factually sober information is becoming more and more critical. That's the topic of today's show, and we have a media maverick here to talk about it. His name is Michael Klein. He hails from the world of televised entertainment and has held a variety of senior-level positions in original programming at network outlets like Viacom's MTV, The Travel Channel, and Condé Nast. Today, he's at the helm of Cannabis MD, a relatively new media outlet that focuses on objective content, providing factual information and resources for patients and adult users. He recently launched a trailblazing marketing campaign to promote his new media outlet in mainstream venues, including Times Square, where, for the first time in New York City's history, throngs of people got to see the word cannabis broadcasting on a giant video billboard ad last month. Michael, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're certainly welcome. So I'm really intrigued. I saw your release on the billboard in Times Square, which I think is fabulous. Tell me a little bit about Cannabis MD and what you're doing. And then I do want to hear about why you put a billboard in Times Square. (laughs) Of course. Cannabis MD is the global authority for potential medical benefits of medical cannabis and CBD and doing it from a non-advocacy point of view. And that's what makes us really unique in this marketplace. We don't have a bias towards use. What we are doing is presenting all of the positive information from research to first-person accounts and the negative research and first-person accounts with the goal to educate and empower consumers to make choices that are right for their lifestyle. So basically, do you have medical doctors that are on staff with you that handle inquiries, or is it mainly just an online resource? So we do have a medical advisory board that is made up of, of doctors from all different disciplines um, that, you know, from, from research to actually practices where they incorporate medical cannabis or CBD in their treatment. The content is, is all original, but it's driven uh, not by necessarily incoming questions per se, but what we've been doing is we identify audiences around certain need states. So it could be anxiety, it could be sleep, it could be pain management, and create original content within those arenas um, that, that really engages that audience. See, I love that you're doing this because there are more resources now than, say, when I started doing this that are available to consumers online. But when it comes to the focus on the medical, there's still just such an absence of credible information that's out there. And so kudos to you. This is a really good service that you're providing, I think, for the consumer. But, you know, you have a journey, too. And I want to hear about that. Like, what got you going into cannabis to begin with? Well, it's exactly that reason, to be perfectly honest. You know, years ago, my father... Um, who was suffering from a number of different ailments, called and he said, you know, I'm thinking of trying uh, medical marijuana, as he called it, for, for my pain. 
he lived in British Columbia, Canada. And I said, I think that's a great idea. So, uh, you know, in Canada, uh, cannabis has been legal for medical use for quite some time. Of course, it is now available for adult consumption uh, you know, late last year. Um, so, but at that time, you know, he could go to his doctor and get a prescription, which he did. And then what? You know, he was left to going to a dispensary where, you know, the young Jason, making up the name, behind the counter is, is prescribing, the, you know, or, or giving my father the, a, a vape for morning and a vape for night. And I'm sure Jason's a nice kid, but why is he guiding my 78-year-old father through this journey? So for me as a caregiver from a distance going online, it's like TripAdvisor. You know, you don't know if this content is verified, if it has authority, if it's truthful. It's so confusing. And that was a few years ago. And so if you think about what's happened even in the last 12 months with the, the focus on medical cannabis, on legalization, on CBD entering our lives from Martha Stewart to pet food, et cetera, uh, it, it's driving you know, that much more consumer awareness, uh, consumer curiosity, and consumer confusion of, you know, finding a way, how can we cut through the clutter? How can we help consumers navigate this, this path? And that really was the motivation for starting the company. You know, you raised a really interesting point. I actually, I did a show on this a long time ago that we're relying on bud tenders to provide medical advice because the medical professionals really just aren't there yet. And that's quite frustrating for a patient, I would think. I mean, I'll never forget my first experience going into a dispensary and just asking questions of the people behind the counter. And there were a couple of people who really did know what some of the uses of different cannabinoids would be. But there were a couple of instances where I walked into dispensary and was told what was going to give me the best high. And I didn't want to know that. I wanted to know what was going to be the best for whatever was going on. And just asking those questions from a journalistic point of view, but as a patient, you know, going in and asking the questions as if I were, you know, really seeking out that advice. And it's really interesting, because I just felt like the patient was going to be left hanging and had to go and do their own research online and find some of the medical providers that'll get on the phone with you and talk to you about what these different things do. And it's really the producers, the early adopters of this industry who have been hands-on trying to help patients navigate the complexities of the cannabis plant. So it's an interesting problem. So, And I, I'm looking forward to a day when we've got education from the doctor's point of view. The medical schools need to really start delving into the endocannabinoid system. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, to your earlier point, you're right that we're surrendering, you know, our healthcare consultation and even, pres you know, prescription to individuals that may be, that may not be fully equipped to do that for us, you know, in the case of a bud tender. Um, when, you know, looking across the digital landscape, what we found prior to launching Cannabis MD was that any number of platforms have emerged, but they were all speaking to an adult consumption market. Nobody was speaking to that cannabis curious consumer who wanted to learn more, 
but they didn't see themselves going into a dispensary for that very reason of not being able to trust the information they were getting or looking at other platforms that, that are, are speaking to the adult consumption market. But it may be, you know, the medical advice may be, uh, you know, beside somebody blowing smoke or rolling something or stigmatizing language. So again, it causes confusion for that consumer. And, you know, that's, that's what we're building, uh, building with cannabis. Finally, on the, the, you know, the institutions around the world that are doing research are limited. And you to say, even in the U.S., you know, the UCLA Cannabis Research Institute is, is you know, certainly ahead of the game. Uh, I saw that uh, Harvard just partnered with uh, someone to do some initial research. Um, so it, it will, it's going to start, uh, uh, I think you'll see more and more of that. You're still dealing, dealing with the schedule and drug. And that's, you know, that's a real problem for these institutions for on a number of, of you know, reasons. I mean, not only from a, a legal perspective, but there's a stigma there. And, you know, if they make that move into research, are they at risk of, of having a negative impact on their funding source? Who knows? Uh, you know, there can be any variety of reasons. I think, you know, as you see legalization from a medical perspective, rolling through the, you know, through the country. I mean, the last, the midterm election with Utah going legal for medical cannabis and nobody talked about it. Utah, you know, that's amazing. So there is a significant shift occurring. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see that continue. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'm, I was really pleasantly surprised to see that so many states are starting to jump on board from the medical side. And also, we're getting a lot of support now in Congress, which I think will be, you know, very interesting, actually. And I mean, it's really come a long way. You've come from the world of television and entertainment as well. I spent a lot of time in the music industry. And cannabis was one of those closeted activities that seem to be pretty prevalent among people in the music industry, especially not so much in, in television. And I come from that world as well, but in the, in the music industry, it was almost as if it were a tool for creativity. So there was a vast acceptance in that world, you know, as if it were just a part of life, just like somebody having a beer after work. So when you keep that in mind, in that context, to see the transition of what's happened culturally from that world. Tell me a little bit about your experiences working in the world of television and music. Sure. Well, and prior to, to, to going on, coming on board with Cannabis MD as CEO, I was running original programming and content at MTV uh, in, in the heart of music television, um, as it were. And, you know, in prior to that, many years, uh, you know, running originals at TLC, at Travel Channel, um, working with incredible talent, Sundance Channel. Uh, and, and look, you know, you're surrounded by creative people. Yeah. I think music is very specific in that respect, probably less so in television, um, in terms of what's fueling creativity, as it were. Exactly. You know, but it, my television experience was really about identifying underserved audiences. You know, that's what a hit show is. You've, you've identified an underserved audience, you've created a great experience for them, and they reward you with their viewership and, and loyalty to that. Uh, and that is what, frankly, fueled my passion throughout my career. In, in 2012, I had the opportunity to go to Condé Nast 
home of Vogue, Vanity Fair, GQ, New Yorker, etc. Uh, and I was part of a team called Condé Nast Entertainment, where we were converting the publishing company uh, into a media company by taking this amazing content uh, and stories to other platforms, feature films, television, and digital content. And so I initially launched the, the, the television side of the business and then took over oversight of our digital channels and, and launched 20 channels based on the brands, the Vogue channel, et cetera, creating original content experiences uh, for audiences. And in that case, it was 18 to 34 year olds, you know, underserved in, to the degree that they've abandoned television. You know, they are cord cutters to cord nevers, as they call them. <laughs> um, they certainly aren't reading magazines. Uh, and so you could only reach them on digital platforms. The opportunity was to leverage uh, and honor the, the legacy of the Condé brand, other Vanity Fair, et cetera, by creating great premium content experiences for that audience. And it's a business that, that really went from a very small footprint in 2012 to today doing well over a billion video views a month. So, you know, we were able to create uh, an environment and an approach uh, that, that really connected with an audience. And so Cannabis MD is very similar to, to all of my experience in the sense of that underserved audience, and in this case, that cannabis curious audience. And how can we create great content experiences for them uh, and help them navigate these new waters? That's fascinating. And I was laughing, <laughs> he said, from cord cutters to the cord nevers, because I, I think that there is a generation that doesn't really care about the timing of television programming and will instead just go and get their original content streaming on their mobile devices which is, it's an interesting phenomenon that's happened in that world. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. You know, my last, I was, in, you know, I did a, a television series uh, with Vanity Fair called Vanity Fair Confidential. And, uh, you know, we were at the Television Critics Association, TCA, which gathers twice a year. Every critic in the country comes together in LA and all the networks show off their wares. And I remember having this sort of out-of-body experience thinking, why am I telling you to come back Monday at 9 p.m. every week to watch my show? Like, who, everyone suffers from time poverty. How are you going to remember Monday at 9 p.m., you know, versus do it when you want to, you know, like just put it out there, consume it on your own, you know, in your own terms. <laughs> and look, look what's happened, you know, so. <laughs> that is funny, actually. Um, <laughs> I say that every week on this show, you know, come back same time, same, same place, because it's on terrestrial radio. But yep. there's a, and the reason that I'm, I'm doing this in terrestrial radio, as opposed to just doing a podcast online, is because there is a huge audience out there that they may not be interested yet, they may not be kind of curious yet, because it, they're not exposed to it yet. And so radio is a wonderful way to reach new audiences, new listeners who may not be searching for this topic online. And, you know, I feel that there's a big need to sort of normalize cannabis in advance of removing it from Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act. And 
so when when I when I first saw your announcement about the billboard that you put up, mm. that's what came to mind for me. It's like you're reaching people with a message that may not know to go and look up cannabis online yet. And <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, it's an interesting parallel. What's interesting, you know, a few points there. One, I agree with you. And, you know, radio, the renaissance of radio, you know, beyond, I'm talking beyond podcasts, but I think that, you know, consumers have an opportunity to to have their minds, you know, exposed to all sorts of different things in a really surprising way. And that's what that's sort of that scheduled radio does. Um, Times Square you know, the opportunity to reach such a broad audience, because the fact is, cannabis and CBD reach an incredibly broad audience. It's not like there was one particular demographic that brought CBD into the forefront um, in consumers' minds. It, it goes wide. You know, my 82-year-old mother uses CBD on a sore knee that allows her to continue golfing every week. You know, at the same time, my 21-year-old niece, who's a dancer who just graduated from college, uses it as part of her recovery program after performances. Two completely different demographics and completely different need states, but they both have discovered this. And this was not a conversation we would have had three years ago, probably. So Times Square is the the crossroads of the world in many ways. Uh, This is the first time the word cannabis has been in Times Square. And we developed a, a campaign uh, I worked with an incredible filmmaker uh, here in Los Angeles named Thomas Trail and, uh, and a great marketing exec named Hugh Duffy, who put together messages that would trigger a curiosity for consumers. You know, messages like, will CBD help my anxiety? Yes. Will CBD help my anxiety? No. Find the truth. So putting it out there for consumers, of, of like, whoa, what? Maybe I haven't considered this. Uh, and listen, you know, Times time Square is an attention game. Yeah, you got a lot of clutter. There's a lot going on. Uh, the, the, the creative uh, was actually a throwback to old neon signs. So big letters flashing uh, to, to, to cut through all of the video and everything else that's going on there. Um, so very, very pleased with the campaign. Yeah. Well, there's something to be said about the word broadcasting back in the day was really meant to say, you know, mass media going out to everyone. It wasn't like narrow casted cable television stations, you know, where people just go and they choose and they listen to their own tribe. And in culture today, that's, it's sort of a metaphor for something that is lost you know, and reaching masses in that way so that everybody has this collective sense that they're all learning something together as opposed to, you know, one side going to Fox News and the other side going to MSNBC. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's there's a huge learning deficit, I think, because of that. And, and it used to be that people would, when something happened in, in the nation, it, everyone sort of rallied around the same message that was coming out of the media. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't tailored to the audience the way that it is today. And, and I think with cannabis, you know, a lot of, a lot of the media outlets that focus on cannabis for many, many years were basically preaching to the choir. So how are you going to reach the people who, 
you know, were it was drilled into their heads. You know, you mentioned your mother, for example. You know, she grew up in that generation, even before the Controlled Substances Act, when they were still drilling into people's heads the the devil's weed concept that came out of reefer madness in the 1930s. And so Mm -hmm. there's like a whole generation of people who, you know, even still to this day, I run into people. And when I tell them what I do, they look at me cross eyed and, you know, all of a sudden I'm a hippie in their eyes. As opposed to, you know, younger people who have had a little bit more interest and exposure without having that reefer madness message drilled into their heads, they'll look at me and go, oh, that's cool. Right. right. And then people my age going, I didn't know you were a pothead. I'm like, I wasn't and I still am not. (laughs) No. But that, that's a lot of the work that has to be done. You know, you had said earlier the, the notion of, of normalizing cannabis and culture. But I think before you can get to that stage, we have to still do some destigmatizing of it. And, you know, and that's part of the, the, the Times Square campaign is really it gets to the stigma piece. Because that's, that's the stuff that holds that people are, you know, would hold on to or prevent them from considering CBD or medical cannabis as part of their health and wellness regime. Um, you're right. Younger generations have a very different approach to this uh, and an acceptance of it. But that continual destigmatization goes a long way. I think what I find interesting too, you know, on the network side, you're right. It, you know, this suddenly this rather than you know everyone rallies around a message, they're rallying around a message to the the audience they're talking to, which. On a lin- from a linear television side is also a strategy that's necessary today uh, in order to, you have to stand for something it, to cut through because audiences are being bombarded with messages from so many different places. What I, what I love that we, we can do with Cannabis MD is we create social currency for the audience. So we're giving them insights into CBD products and, and potential benefits they may have on sleep or beauty or benefits that actually there is no benefit to that making it up CBD mascara, although there is a CBD mascara on the market. Um, but that's social currency that, that can be incredibly valuable to a consumer. I mean, my mother has social currency with her, her you know, group of friends who, as you say, grew up in a very different generation, but she has discovered something that is very positive for her. Uh, and she's happy to, to, to share that with them and sort of open their eyes to, to it. So it's a very interesting time, that sort of where the messages are coming from and what people are doing with them. Yeah. But the one thing that I really love about the cannabis movement is that it isn't divisive in any way. So in other words, um, there are certain hot button topics these days that will send people running to their own demographic corners or their own political corners. And then they're locked in and they, you know, it's like the other side is stigmatized almost the way that cannabis was in the 1930s. But people are drawn to cannabis for apolitical reasons, you know, so it it's one of those issues that it, when you take it into politics, it's not so divisive in terms of, you know, one side holding on to a no vote and the other side holding on to the yes. I think that cannabis can be good for every political position because, you know, it, it could be good for the economy. It could be good for social justice. You know, this movement has so many benefits to society 
that benefit all sides of the political spectrum. So it is unifying, if you will. Well, it'll be curious to see how history looks back on the farm bill and Mitch McConnell and how that in one, in sort of one foul swoop, you know, legalized hemp and changed the conversation. Uh, You know, not only stimulating uh, opportunities for farmers, but uh, suddenly, suddenly CBD, you know, moved into the marketplace at velocity, uh, outpacing the ability for any regulatory bodies to to actually, some you know, give it a framework. You know, we know the FDA is now starting that process, uh, but it is it is curious. So you're right; it's not necessarily a divisive issue, but uh, people are trying to figure out what to do with it now. Yeah, you know. I thought that that was an incredible move and it it seemed to happen so fast once the ball started rolling on that issue and <laughs> I was quite surprised that it passed so overwhelmingly but here was the problem with it too just before that passed of course epidiolex became a medicine in the FDA's eyes so now all of a sudden CBD that was in epidiolex was removed from schedule one and moved down to, I think, schedule three or four or something like that. But what that did for the rest of the industry created this tsunami of confusion because nobody seemed to know what that was going to mean. And all of a sudden, the FDA sent out notices saying, well, CBD is illegal except for Epidiolex, and we have to be fair to that manufacturer who spent millions of dollars you know, researching it so now nobody else can use it in any food substance because it's now a medicine. So it opened up the doors, and it seems that nobody seemed to pay any attention to the FDA notices, but at the same time, the FDA is saying, well, you know, (laughs) and now they are starting to create that framework, but I think it's going to take some time before the confusion ends in that regard. And the only thing that will change that is if they remove cannabis, including CBD, which has its own numerical code in Schedule 1 still, except for Epidiolex CBD. The only thing that will change all of that is when they remove CBD and cannabis in general, or marijuana as it's labeled in Schedule 1, when they remove that from Schedule 1. And then the confusion, then people can start to really get a a framework of CBD's universal legality, with the exception of Epidiolex, <laughs> you know, and God bless right. them for creating that drug for children. I think that's great. But at the same time, it really sort of put a monkey wrench into this booming industry, which is, you know, one of the fastest growing industries of our generation anyway. That's right. Well, uh, listen, the FDA had their, their you know, listening day, I guess they called it, um, a few weeks ago, uh, which didn't necessarily give clarity to what the roadmap will be. You are seeing states taking it into their own hands uh, in terms of how they're dealing with it, which continues to cause confusion. But it also signals, you know, they're getting ready. They're moving. They're, they're moving ahead. They, they see the opportunity here. I mean, yes, part of it's the consumer need. The other part is there's great taxes to be made. Um, you know, they, they, see, they see the business opportunity. So, you know, some of the theories, uh, you know, of late are that the FDA may kick it back to Congress. And say like, look, you know, this is they, the FDA has been pretty clear. We this is new. We don't know what to do. Um, and if they may put the onus back on Congress, then who knows? Does Congress Congress just kick it to the states and the states figure it out? Um, 
you know, Epidiolex changed the world with that product. You know, it is, it is remarkable, but the greater CBD business is so interesting because it really did come from small entrepreneurs who, who brought it up and, you know, that recognition suddenly uh, came into to society, into the cultural conversation. You know, it wasn't one large corporation who came up with it. It was, it was these smaller farmers and others. So you hope that at the end of the day, there has to be some form of regulation uh, to keep consumers safe. Because right now, you've got a marketplace flooded with high-priced you know, products that you know, a herbologist at a, at a shop that may try to sell you for $150, or you have you know, CBD at your local bodega in New York for 20 bucks that probably doesn't have any CBD in it. So something has to happen. Some framework needs to be created that doesn't push out those that, that pioneered this and, and are doing it from an authentic place, uh, but, it, you know, but something that does remove the bad actors from the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there, there's one, I've mentioned this before, too, on this show, but there's one really big advantage to the fact that cannabis has been in Schedule 1 while the industry developed, and that is that it did give the opportunity for those who were truly passionate about it to get their feet wet in the industry, but not only that, take a foothold in the industry so that it, it didn't so that it wasn't um, driven by the big corporate interest to um, make it more mercenary as an in industry, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's yeah. the right way to couch it. But yeah, so it, it, it gave an opportunity for the people who are passionate about the industry to develop the industry first and establish the sort of holistic nature of the plant as a healing tool before it turned into this big chemical run them off in China pills <laughs> by big companies who wanted to sort of bastardize the true nature of the plant. And I hope that as they establish these regulations, that they do keep that in mind and don't favor the the profit side of it as much as they favor the doing it right side of it. The organic nature of the plant is what makes it such an incredible healing tool. And if you start cutting corners to, you know, push out isolates or something that, you know, in pill form, it's, it's going to lose the beauty of the synergistic nature of the way that all the cannabinoids work together. And so it's going to be an interesting process, I think, but it is a good thing that it has developed on a grassroots level. So you're absolutely right about that. Right. All right. Well, and that's what makes it so interesting when someone, you know, someone like me comes into this, into this industry. Uh, I mean, my, you know, my background Seemingly very different, I contend not. Uh, again, we talk about the underserved audience piece of it, but more and more you're seeing individuals that are, if they're not coming from investment banks, they're coming from, from large CPG companies uh, to run CBD companies or medical cannabis companies. Um, so it's giving, you know, it's the opportunity, frankly, and what I love about it and the team that I built, we're bringing our experiences from all different other in industries to the world of medical cannabis and CBD uh, and some really exciting things happen as a result of that. So there's a lot of positive that, that comes into it as, as the, as the industry starts to 
mature, but mature is almost a heavy handed word because we are just at the beginning. I mean, it's just beginning uh, and the, the potential is, is huge. There's no doubt. I mean, it is. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> for those of us who are in it, it's kind of hard to imagine that it really is at its beginnings now. It's emerging still, but from the rest of the world and every other industry, this is probably the newest, fastest growing emerging industry in our lifetime right now. No, that's right. I, I'm, you know, I grew up in Canada uh, and uh, uh, the venture capitalists behind Cannabis MD are in Toronto. So for me, it's quite interesting to, when I spend time there, you know, meeting with investors and, and from family offices to the institutions that you're going into buildings where, you know, these people were, were pushing, you know, they were trading wheat and, and minerals, you know, up until a couple of years ago. And now they are all in on cannabis. And you really, you're sort of like, wow, wow, okay. Uh, th this, is, this is really happening. And Canada is absolutely driving the global conversation around this. Um, and so they're, they're ahead of it. There's no question. But, you know, look, with California legalization and the, the size of California and the, the impact that the, the economy in California has on, on the country and the world, uh, you know, and you see it here. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is now nothing but, you know, billboards for YouTube and cannabis. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> shifting culture. Well, a lot of the sort of uh, renegade trends have all come out of California, and it's the fourth largest economy in the world as a state by itself. Forget the United States. I mean, California itself is just such a, a machine in terms of this industry. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But it's interesting to be in this space right now. So what are your goals for the future? What's coming down the pike for you? Well, you know, we've, we're just getting started in many ways. We launched the platform in fourth quarter of last year. Um, and, you know, building out our editorial teams, you know, increasing the amount of content that we're creating. You know, again, as I said earlier, you look at what's happened just in the last few months, you know, with the Martha Stewart announcement or the announcement of, you know, large retailers and pharmacies that are that are now selling CBD products. So, again, consumers that are being exposed to this um, and wanting to understand it. Um, look, I think you'll see a correction in the CBD marketplace with, you know, as I said earlier, between the, you know, the good ones and the not so good ones. Um, you're seeing technology that's emerging and new businesses, you know, laboratories that are, that are coming online that uh, are really changing the game with respect to consumer safety, particularly on CBD products. You know, so for Cannabis MD, it's about con keeping consumers safe and educated. Uh, it's potentially challenging their stigma, you know, and, and, and having them set it aside to see that there may be something here that, that could help them. Um, so we'll see that growth continue. Um, you know, very fortunate that as we grow, we're attracting really interesting voices from the medical community that didn't have a place to go because they didn't feel comfortable on other organizations that were targeting strictly a, an adult consumption um, person. You know, they, they wanted to play, be in a place where they felt there was an authority voice uh, on the medical side. So it's great for us that we can, you know, those voices are finding us and we're finding them and giving them a platform um, for which to tell their stories. So you'll see, you know, I think you'll see tremendous growth um, um, with the company, you know, as society 
continues this consumer acceptance that is undeniable. Well, you know what? It sounds like you're off to a really great start with this. And when you talk about growing out the editorial side of it, are you also planning to move this into television at all? Well, first of all, we're looking at other verticals that it makes sense and where where we're really seeing there's an audience need. You know, the the A to Z health of it all, and it's everything from uh, epilepsy to sleep disorder to sexual health. Um, you see, you know, you're seeing audiences, you know, certainly circling and gathering around those subjects. But we're building out our food vertical. Uh, we have an incredible food editor, um, Chef Andrea Drummer, who was one of the growing voices within the medical cannabis and, and CBD cuisine world. Um, she herself used to be an anti-drug advocate and uh, discovered medical cannabis for pain management, her own pain management. And while she was at Cordon, Cordon Bleu, had a chocolate peanut butter moment where she thought, well, food, you know, CBD and medical cannabis. Um, and so, uh, so lots of exciting content coming from her. Building out a sports vertical, pets, uh, weight loss. So as we see consumers wanting to discover more uh, and unexpected applications, we'll see content experiences there. Beyond that, video and podcasts are an important part of the business. And we've been approached um, from a streaming service about about television, quote unquote, content. Um, so we'll see what we'll see where that takes us. Uh, but right now, you know, across digital platforms has really been my focus uh, and where I see our greatest growth opportunity. That's amazing, actually. So I think it, it'll be interesting to see how some of these channels pan out, too, because I've seen a lot of, I guess, production companies that are that are trying to start networks and they're doing it online right now. But um, some of them have been talking about putting them into streaming services that can be seen on smart TVs, for example. And mm -hmm. yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting thing. And we've been approached too to try to convert the Cannabis Reporter radio show into a, a video podcast. And I've been contemplating this and occasionally I'll do some of these interviews on video just so that I have that content to draw from later. You know, it's all in the archives. But yeah, so th I think there's room for this now. And I think that the acceptance level is up in the more general audiences that are not narrow casting to just cannabis lovers. So, yeah. And as far as like the medical programming, the medical content, it's just so important. And so I really admire what you're doing with that. And I'm sure that it's appreciated by people who actually really need the resource right now. That's right. And, you know, but again, the non-advocacy position is what's so important, because from a medical perspective, you know, there are certain cases many that, that medical cannabis or CBD may not be the right answer. And consumers need to know that as well. So, we, you know, we want to make sure that that is being surfaced. You know, one thing we didn't talk about our revenue model is to attract non-cannabis advertisers to the space. So I don't accept advertising from dispensaries or product companies. You know, we're talking to mattress companies and beauty, etc. I love that. Um, to bring them into the cultural conversation uh, in a safe platform that is free of no smoke, no weed, no stigmatizing language, etc. Uh, and that, you know, and that, you know, from, from my perspective, that's building trust with your audience. You're demonstrating there's not a bias here. You know, this is really, it's about keeping you consumer safe. 
and making sure we're empowering you with the right the right content to make decisions because it, you know one size does not fit all we're not there yet um, so uh, that's important to, to keep in mind for everyone that's an incredibly important point that you make and you know we try to stay unbiased here when i talk to people you know i like to hear all perspectives on this because I, it is important for the consumer to know that it's not proven to have any curative effects and i think that's the big issue with the fda as well right now they they object to these companies putting out all of these testimonials oh i cured my stage 4 cancer with cannabis well that might be true but somebody else who's reading that might say, oh, I'm going to forego my chemotherapy and just try cannabis. And they go and buy it from their local dispensary or whatever, and they don't know what's in it. And they haven't looked at the science to see if it's right for their particular form of cancer. And so it is, it's crucial that audiences do understand that. It's not a cure-all for everything. And when you talk about the advocacy side of it, you know, so many people are advocating that it is something that can totally replace pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of some of the pharmaceutical companies, because I've seen how consumers have sort of been duped by the perfect example is the opiates. But when it comes to certain disease types, there are billions of dollars that have gone into the research to target certain conditions. And those pharmaceuticals are maybe the only things that will work on those specific conditions. And cannabis might help along the way, but, you know, you can't discount them altogether. So, yeah, it's a very, very important point. And I like that you're doing that. That's the tension of the plant in general, that it is, you know, I have, a, I have one of my board members, you know, very smartly points out that you know, an individual may be using medical cannabis to treat a particular condition. And if, they're, they, if they're, their, you know, intake is through smoking it, they can hand that to the next person, it suddenly could become that person's recreation. And that's the tension and ultimately the confusion that we have in the market uh, and with consumers. And it goes back to we have to destigmatize where people need it as for their for a, as a medical benefit. Yeah, well, the same can be said for the pharmaceuticals too. It's like one person's painkiller is another person's recreation, and that digresses too. The addiction problem in this country is just phenomenal. You're right. Yeah, but it's actually sad because that is also criminalized to the extent that it shouldn't be. And I'm sort of an advocate for decriminalizing all drug use because drug use people are drawn to drugs because of something that's going on in their lives and you know maybe it it's a medical condition that they need treatment for great but maybe it's a psychological problem that they're looking to sort of numb out the pain of the brain if you will and didn't mean to make a rhyme there but people are drawn to certain mind-altering experiences because of either a deeper desire to get into their creative side, which is one part of it, but then also a deeper desire to just numb out whatever's going on in their lives. And that's not a criminal thing. That's not something that should be considered a criminal thing. That should be considered a mental health thing. And I think that one of the things that the cannabis industry can do is help to destigmatize mental illness as well. So 
that's got to be part of the conversation down the road. And we're seeing how it's helping veterans, for example, deal with PTSD. And PTSD is a mental health condition that was brought on by trauma, obviously, right? So if people start talking about that in a way that cannabis is not stigmatized when you're talking about veterans and healing them with the pain from war, then maybe that can lead to other discussions that deal with addiction as a way for people to cope with pain in general and take it out of the criminal realm. And you know, we've got so many problems in our society. I'm sorry, I go into these things. But I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Listen, there's a, there's a group of doctors that um, have organized around cannabis. They're not pro legalization. They are anti-prohibition, which I think is what you're saying as well. Um, and their point is prohibition doesn't work. Make the plant available for research, for the medical community to learn more and to understand, to keep consumers safe and you know, potentially to, to benefit consumers in many other ways. Um, and I think that's a really, it's a really interesting point of view. Um, so, you know, but then if you're wrapping it up into all other drugs, it probably becomes incredibly complicated. Um, and, you know, look what's happening with just CBD at the moment and how complicated it is. Yeah. So, uh, but so much has changed in such a short period of time that even within, you know, if you even talk about the past five or six years. So, you know, if, if, you know, CBD interest has grown 100% year over year with consumers and will probably continue on that path. You have to see all of this, the, the velocity of legalization or at least a prohibition going away uh, in our future. Well, I'm looking forward to that day <laughs> very much. <laughs> you know, we all have so much to learn still and it, it, the sky is the limit. Um, so on Cannabis MD, are you also delving into some of the science behind more sustainable product production, for example, and think that ultimately have something to do with health? Or are you mainly just focused on the medical as it as it applies to like the human body? Well, I think what certainly focused on the impact that medical cannabis or CBD can have on the human body. And from a, from a, either from an ailment perspective or um, overall health in some way, but we are very human focused in that respect uh, versus going beyond that, uh, where there may be other applications. Not to say that we wouldn't cover that uh, as as we move on. Um, that's certainly you know certainly if you're curious about one thing, you're going to be curious about the next, and we want to make sure that we're addressing consumer need across the board. The reason that I was asking about that is because we have some issues with like GMOs and glyphosate and stuff like that, that cannabis, CBD particularly, can help to protect developing brains from the damage that is caused by consuming GMO products or consuming meat, for example, that has been tainted with hormones and that sort of thing. So I was just curious if you were going to take that as a vertical in your platform to address some of those issues that ultimately do affect human health? Well, I think so much of this is going to fall under what's happening from a regulatory perspective. Uh, and for that, we will absolutely cover it because it does have an impact on your health. Right. That makes sense. Totally. So are there any last 
thoughts, anything that you really have a burning desire to let our audiences know? Well, I think, as I said earlier, it is, and you've said this as well, that it is a remarkable time that it's very hard to compare what's happening in culture right now. Um, The fact that, that this is hitting consumers from all different demographics, all different kinds of need states, what it's doing from a, from a regulatory perspective, the discussions that are happening sort of at all levels of government around it, uh, and how it's, it's we're creating an entirely new category uh, and new industry. And the innovation that is coming out of that is so exciting. And I think that should be inspiring to people. No matter where they sit on the fence, you know, on which side of the fence with respect to legalization or not, or if they would consider it for their health and wellness, just look overall the, the positive impact it's having on innovation, uh, you know, on helping people, it, it, it's saving lives in some cases, uh, and pushing culture forward in a really interesting way. And that should be celebrated. You're absolutely right about that. And... I think that we have so much to look forward to in this industry. And I feel really blessed to be in it and to be experiencing this phase in our history because I think we will look back on the prohibition days and go, oh my God, what were they thinking? And I think that it will be universally accepted very soon, at least, you know, I hope. And I think we were, we can look forward to if not descheduling, at least a rescheduling of cannabis across the board with respect to the Controlled Substances Act. And I'd like to see CBD being treated like vitamin C. <laughs> so that, you know, because really it, it, it is. And I've read a Forbes article recently where they said that the, the study that was done to get approval from the FDA for Epidiolex showed that there was some liver compromise uh, when it came to that particular drug. And so the article headline was CBD causes liver damage. And I went, I was curious about that. So I went back into that study, which I had read cover to cover several times because I just wanted to really understand what it was that Epidiolex had done. And I don't think it was just the CBD. I would think it was the other components of that particular medicine. But it wasn't clear when I read the study. So it would be interesting for someone to go back and do another study just with CBD without any other components and, and a completely natural extraction, like a steam extraction process, you know, steam made with the purified water so that you've got a, a very pure cannabinoid to test against the liver to prove or disprove that particular theory because i'd hate for people to all of a sudden go oh well cbd causes liver damage i'm not going to take it because i might be at risk you know maybe somebody who's had hepatitis before or something like that so there's just so much for us to learn and i think that once this goes into medical schools and the study of the endocannabinoid system which by the way of course is what the seventh largest system in the human body that is so intimately related to our ability to control our own immune system (laughs) and neurological health and everything else. But I think that once they start demanding that medical doctors learn about the endocannabinoid system, it's going to open up a lot of those doors for the research and we will get some answers to these things that 
have been myths for some time now. So it'll be interesting. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So, well, I think it's about time to start wrapping this up. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what else you do at Cannabis MD. And I'll definitely let people know where to find you when I post this online. But I really appreciate your time today. And I thank you for joining me. No, it's Snowden, thank you. I love the conversation. Yeah, this was great, Michael. Thank you so much. And I had a great time too. Thanks, Snowden. So once again, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. I would personally like to thank my guest, Michael Klein, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And there you will find his bio along with information and a link to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Canosphere Biotech, and Sunstate Technology Group. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank our theme composer, Erica Dahl, and the team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine. And it goes without saying just how much we appreciate our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids. By the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24/7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.